why should any marketing agency or marketing professional be worried about IP? All right. Well, um, good question. And like, I wouldn't say that they need to be worried about IP uh, because I think it's more like a um, an opportunity than it is something to worry about. The opportunity is to maximize the value of your business. And um, it's a lot of times when people think of IP, they think in terms of, well, do I do I need protection? Am I going to um, have people ripping me off that I need to stop from ripping me off? And that's all true. It's a good reason to have IP. But these days, the best reason to have IP is that when you get acquired, you get acquired for that much more if you own IP. And so think of it, um, you know, less as something to worry about and more as something which creates a real opportunity to maximize the valuation of your company. This is Digital Marketing. Hey everyone, this is Mark DeGrasse, the president of Digital Marketer, and this is the podcast that keeps you up to date on everything you need to know when it comes to digital marketing, from the platforms you need to be focused on to the cutting edge tactics and tools that are working today. Today our guest is Rich Goldstein, an IP attorney and the author of the American Bar Association's Consumer Guide to Obtaining a Patent, and he's helped his clients obtain over 2,000 patents. So welcome, Rich. Hey, thanks so much, Mark. Great to be here. Great to have you. You know, I think uh, when we met at, I think, what they scale of scalable events last mm-hmm. month, uh, we started talking about IP for marketing specifically. Uh, at yes. Digital Marketer, we have a bunch of IP, uh, you know, for our big frameworks. And what we talked about was kind of why you do it for marketing and why it's valuable for the companies that uh, end up making the effort to to obtain IPs. So just to get started on that vein, uh, why should any marketing agency or marketing professional be worried about IP? All right. Well, um, good question. And like, I wouldn't say that they need to be worried about IP uh, because I think it's more like a um, an opportunity than it is something to worry about. The opportunity is to maximize the value of your business. And um, it's a lot of times when people think of IP, they think in terms of, well, do I do I need protection? Am I going to um, have people ripping me off that I need to stop from ripping me off? And that's all true. It's a good reason to have IP, but these days, the best reason to have IP is that when you get acquired, you get acquired for that much more if you own IP. And so think of it, um, you know, less as something to worry about and more as something which creates a real opportunity to maximize the valuation of your company through owning those IP assets that, um, that you get a huge ROI for when you do get to exit. No, I, I love that concept because it's, you know, we, we just did our content certification and with content, it's kind of similar in the sense of like, you know, it doesn't do anything for me right now, but how we kind of propose it is, uh, you know, you could use it in the future. The content that you create actually adds value to your website and the traffic adds value and all these different components of traffic well, you could sell to somebody else. And just like that, the IP, you know, hey, we don't just have these frameworks that we sell to our customers they're an IP that now you own and we're, we're allowing you to have for millions of dollars or whatever you want to sell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, it's like money in the bank. It's like, it's there. It might not mean much. It's at, for a certain while, it's just a number on a statement, but then at some magical point, it makes a difference to have it there. And while it's there, it's collecting interest and, uh, and, and all of that. So, so the example you gave of like creating that content, it's like money in the bank. 
I, I love that. Well, now in regards to the actual IP process, because I think a lot of people don't really understand like what qualifies as something that can be an IP. Do you have a, a checklist or how's it work? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the, the the three main categories are patent, trademark, and copyright. And people often get confused between these areas. They'll say things like, that's a really cool name for a product. You should patent that. Or um, I, I love that product idea. You should copyright that. And when they do, it's just a, uh, a mismatch or a misunderstanding between the type of protection and the type of thing you have to protect. So here's an easy way to remember it. So if you're talking about products and what makes a product different, then you're talking about patents. If it's branding, if it's the things that consumers use to identify your product, identify your brand, the name of your agency, the name of the product, uh, then that's a trademark. So branding gets protected with trademarks. And then lastly, content gets protected with copyrights. So content, whether those are written words uh, or it's uh, a, um, um, or a design of some type, or it's the content of a video. Um, all of these items of content are protected by copyright. Oh, and that's, uh, that's a great breakdown. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's It almost works with the letter-to-letter correspondence, P for patent, P for product, uh, you know, um, C for copyright, C for content, but then trademarks and branding. Uh, I mean, trademarks and branding doesn't exactly fit the same quite. correspondence. <laughs> I try to think like logo, slogan. Yeah, <laughs> I try to go through that. If you come up with something, let me know because I love a good mnemonic. I love a good way of m- remembering things. I'm going to think about. It. There's a way to do it because it's uh, you know telling people who you are. So it's the tell. I don't know. Uh, but no, that's, that's a great way to break it down. Cause especially the trademarks and copyrights, like that's always like people just use them. They interchange them when they feel like it. <laughs> so it, it gets everybody else even more confused than, you know, they would have been otherwise. Uh, but no, breaking that down into trademarks for branding and copyright for content. That's, that's excellent. And P for products. P for, for products. What makes the product idea, what makes the product different. That is what the patent could be all about. And by the way, the same thing goes for software. Software and the way in which like a software platform functions, or say you have a SaaS in your business, like your your business is uh, creating some type of, uh, you have some type of software platform that creates a result for customers. Um, that platform could be uh, embraced or protected by a patent, by a software patent. That's something we do quite a bit. Um, and then that is a, a huge asset if you want to then uh, go for additional rounds of funding or you're looking to actually exit having a patent portfolio like a bunch of patents on the things that make the software function uh can can add tremendously to what you get paid at exit no i I completely believe that and everybody really has seen it if you ever watch shark tank you know if you have a patent you bring it out in a frame you show it off you talk about it and that's like 90 percent of the the value that the uh the investors are looking for at that point exactly uh, and i think you asked about process right like you want you're curious about process for ip as well yeah actually let's break like it down into to each of the the three elements so i know patent takes a long time <laughs> but right. trademark and copywriting like i i don't know the the time scales that you're looking at for actually obtaining one Okay, yeah. Well, let's start with copyright first because that's the easiest. So technically, when you, now this is the legal lease, when you fix a work in a tangible form, 
it's protected by copyright. Meaning that if you take the poem and you write it down on paper or you write it down into your computer in a word file, um, or if it's a painting, you apply the paint to the canvas. Once it's once it's fixed in a tangible form, it's protected by copyright law. Um, and you can put a copyright notice on something um, without taking any steps, any legal steps. You just write copyright 2023. Well, we're not there yet, but let's just imagine. Uh, copyright 2023, um, you know, Mark Degrassi, then you are putting people on notice the fact that this is my work. Because copyright is always about, did they actually see my work and copy it? It's not about them being coincidentally similar. It's about them having access to it. So copyright, it's always a matter of them proving like, hey, you know, they had my book. I gave them a copy of my book and then they, they took a big chunk of it and put it in their own book, right? So, so simply, um, uh, you know, you can you can um, put a copyright notice on something, and it is technically protected by copyright law just by you creating it like that. Um, but you can take the further step of getting a registered copyright by filling out a form with the U.S. Library of Congress, and um, and then they'll give you a copyright registration. Which, by the way, you do need to take that step if you're ever going to sue someone over a copyright. You need to have a copyright registration. So. The advantage of filing copyrights, so one advantage is that you can then um, take action rather than say, oh, wait a second, we need to actually file this copyright, wait for it to go through before we can then take action. So that's copyright. Copyright's the simplest of all. Um, trademarks also involves applying for uh, a, a trademark um, with the, the United States Patent and Trademark Office. And these days, it, it actually takes quite a bit longer. It used to be about eight to 10 months. Now it's more like a year and a half. So it does take quite a while. Um, and it pays to file a trademark application as early as practical. Um, because two types of trademark rights that you could obtain. One is, um, the rights through registration by actually going through the process. The other is what's called common law rights, which you get by using the mark in public, by using it in commerce, by selling products with a certain name on it. And so you do have rights by using it out there in the world. Um, and if someone filed a, a, a trademark application for you, or if someone filed a trademark application before you for the same name, you might be able to eventually beat them out by showing, hey, I was actually using it first. I have common law rights. But that's a far more complicated process than if you just filed your trademark application as soon as possible. So. That's the long and the short on trademarks and and like getting it and when you should do it. Um, and then just lastly with patents, similarly, you apply for a patent. It could take a few years to get the patent. Um, but there, there's a real danger. If you, if you publicly disclose it, if you have it for sale, for example, and a year goes by, then it's too late to ever apply for a patent. doesn't matter if someone else starts doing it also. Uh, it doesn't matter if if if, if uh, someone rips off the idea or doesn't rip off the idea. You simply making it public will cause you to lose the rights to ever get a patent if you don't apply for it. So it's an important thing with the timing there is that if you're ever going to do a patent, the, the right time to do it would be before you launch. And worst case, within one year of when you um, get it out there in public. 
Yeah, I think I think the whole the time scales people think about are very important because a lot of people when they finally get to that like I need to sue somebody about this, it's already maybe too, too late. late to do a patent yep. or or it makes the process so much more complicated because you didn't take that official step and you could say, "Well, I came up with this line, this slogan back then, and now it's, you know, now it's an issue." Now, in, in that regard because my understanding was always uh the person who's say infringing on your copyright needs to, or you need to prove that they profited from infringing on the copyright in order for the lawsuit to be valid. Is that a thing or was that just some myth I heard at some point? Um, it's, I mean, there, there's something to it, right? I mean, like if we're talking about copyrights, which is about content, um, then, um, you know, one of the, I guess one of the, one of the ways of looking at that statement is that it's, that's one measure of damages, right? One way to measure how you've been damaged by someone's infringement is by um how much um profit they've made from it right uh, another way is is by by the lost profits i have if if say you were copying my copyright um but i think maybe kind of what you're what you're um what you're thinking of there or, or maybe what people are getting at there has to do with what's called fair use so like there are times when um it's considered fair to use someone else's copyright, um, copyrighted work, um, and and so one factor in that is whether it's a, a for-profit use or a non-profit use. It's not the entire story, but it's like, for example, you know, somebody um, makes a copy of um, a page from a book um, for, for the um, for their kind of Boy Scout troop. Um, non-profit use. Doesn't mean that they're um, that it's that it's totally okay. Doesn't mean that it's fair use, but that's a factor. There's like eight factors in determining whether something whether it's fair to borrow someone's work for a limited purpose, right? It's like the extent of the use, whether it's commercial or non-commercial, etc. So I think probably what you're um, what you're getting at there is it's a very valid point. Is that if you want to use someone's copywritten work. Then you should study up on what's known as fair use. You can Google fair use copyright, and it will explain how that works. And um, you know, it's just a weighing of a series of factors. So, it being not something that's profitable isn't necessarily going to keep you out of trouble, but it is something that's considered. Okay, yeah, that that makes total sense. Yeah, it's more about enforcement than it is about just having the copyright. Right. Um, now, in regards to say copyrights and trademarks, uh, because that's really where mark most marketers live. Uh, do they, how detailed do you have to be? So for us, we have the customer value journey. That's a, a framework we have for marketing strategy. We trademark the name now, but we went through an entire process and it's very detailed. How detailed do you actually need to get in terms of describing the framework to actually get the, the trademark or the registered copyright? Um, well, I think that both of them are a little different, right? I mean, so um, the copyright, again, is about the content. So if you're going to be getting a copyright on that content, you want to deposit the entire work or the, the, the because, because it's, it's, it's the, um, the expression that gets protected by copyright, not the underlying ideas. See, that's one thing about copyright law is it doesn't protect ideas. It protects expression. doesn't protect, let's say, that there's, you know, that there's um, three steps, there's a tripwire and there's the blah, blah, blah and the profit maximizer or whatever. Like those ideas are not protected. 
But when you're protecting a work with copyright, you're protecting expression, the way that you wrote about, the way that you described it and, and all of that. So, so the full detail is what gets protected. When it comes to a trademark, what you're doing is you're protecting a certain name or logo as being the thing that people identify when they see your product or service. And they say like, um, like, oh yeah, traffic and conversion. Like that's, you know, that's an event, right? Like that's an, a marketing event given by a, a bunch of guys, one particular set of guys, and maybe now, um, you know, owned by a third party, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's but, a whole different legal thing. Right, a whole different thing. But the whole point is like, so throughout the years though, traffic inversion was a, so, was a specific event such that if someone else went and created an event that they called a traffic and conversion, like like the the public marketers might be confused and say, oh, they're doing a traffic conversion um, in um, in Memphis. Like, no, it's just confusing. And so trademark helps prevent that likelihood of confusion. And in order to do that, like when you apply for a trademark, you specify like what type of product or service is this for? And so like the type of detail you go into there is to say that it's for a live events, but you might go further and say live events, particularly in the field of digital marketing or particularly in the field of digital marketing, sales funnels, blah, blah, blah. You might go into some further detail. And, um, but, but that's kind of how it goes is you want to, you want to make clear like what is the, the, the area you've carved out for yourself under this mark, because a lot of times it could, you could have the same mark for two very different fields. Um, yeah. So if you said traffic I mean, and conversion, it could be uh, road construction and converting land into transportation. Like that would exactly, be a different function. Right. That, that, exactly. So it could be like in the realm of construction materials, like, um, you know, someone who sells construction materials and they call traffic and conversion or something. <laughs> <That'd be funny. laughs> construction materials and like um, biofuel manufacturing supply. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, we turn right, roads like, into energy right, or something. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it might be possible for them to coexist with, um, you know, traffic and conversion, you know, the the event, right? So if, if, and, and if that's the case, it's like when you're applying for the trademark, when they're applying for the trademark, they would want to describe it in a way that indicates that that is that it has nothing to do with the other one, and that people wouldn't be confused between the two. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah, it's actually a good branding scheme if you wanted to get a bunch of notoriety right off the bat of making a brand is switch an industry of an existing brand and see if you could get some accidental yeah. confusion. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's the thing is like if there's accidental confusion, that's not going to work. That's that's not good. Um, so especially when you you have a really famous brand, then um, kind of time and, and space tends to warp around those brands. And in other words, some of the rules, you know, the, the rules of like, well, a trademark is about a certain type of product or industry. It's not about just owning a term in a, in a, in a vacuum. But if you tried to trademark, just do it um, for plumbing supplies, Nike would be all over you. If you try to open a mixed shoe store, I guarantee you that McDonald's would be all over you, even though you're in a very different realm and it's not even McDonald's. It's just, it's like McAnything they would come after you for. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Now I have one big question. And I think yeah. for digital marketers, we've talked about it for over a year now, but uh, NFTs and the value of NFTs versus the value of uh, other IP, you know, real IP. 
Uh, how do you compare having an NFT versus having a copyright, a trademark, or a patent? Well, I think they, they 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 really do work together. I mean, there's a notion of NFTs as being like, well, this is something totally different. It's like a, it's like an absolute new creation, and the rules don't apply. And you have people doing things like, you know, taking a um, taking a famous image and colorizing it and saying like, oh, this is I made it an NFT. Now it's my image. Uh, no, you're still a copyright infringer, you know, uh, or taking like some famous, um, you know, trade name or trademark and putting it in an NFT and like selling them. No, you're still violating trademarks. So like people act as if it's the wild west, but there is still accountability. Um, even though maybe the lawyers don't often know who to go after or how to pursue it. It's something which is affecting it's number one, if you're on the buying side, if you're buying the NFT, it's really affecting that future value of the item is that there may be issues um, at some point of, uh, you know, some enforcement issues where someone can say like, that's not legitimate. That was an infringing work. It, it has to be destroyed. It, it, may, it may possibly come down to that. The other thing is like, if you are selling NFTs, um, you know, well, you could be liable, right? But but I think it pays to dot the I's and cross the T's with regard to copyrights and trademarks. So it's like you're selling something. Uh, and I've, I've told like many, uh, I've, I've many, I've advised many clients who, oh, who are producing NFTs of, of exactly this. Is like if you're selling NFTs, which is just very much about like, like no one really knows who you are. They're buying something from an unknown source. But the extent to which you could legitimize it by saying like, yes, and there is a, there's only 10 of these and there is a registered copyright for it. And this is the copyright registration number. Um, I think that would help to bolster the value of someone buying something from an unknown source. So I think it's worthwhile to copyright it. And you can enforce that copyright then against other people. Like, yes, you could enforce the the purchase itself on the blockchain that is, is, is clear who the unique individual is that, oh, individual account that's buying this NFT. But at the same time, it'd be good to have some additional ammunition to go after other people that might want to copy it. Right. And I think it just adds legitimacy to what you're selling. Number one, number two, if you create a brand, um, and you protect it with the trademark, you could potentially stop others from using that type of branding. So like, and I don't know all the details of the whole ape, um, world <laughs> yeah, like, there's the like the board apes, apes and the yacht apes and yeah. all these different apes right uh i couldn't tell you if they're all coming from the same source i don't think they are but if the first person who created the apes series had registered a trademark for that they would have um, a valid action against other people that came up with other ape um series and against the platforms like OpenSea, etc that are selling things that are infringing a trademark because that is branding. Like it is like, you know, creating, creating branding around, um, some type of series of NFTs such that when people see it, they associate it with a certain source. Like that's branding, but there could be confusion. There could be trademark violations and it's worth dotting the I's and crossing the T's and not just being like, ah, oh, this is the wild west. Don't need to follow any rules here. <laughs> no, if nobody you do, cares you do that much better. Yeah, well, no, and I think going back to the tried and true, uh, you know, ways to secure your IP is is the safest choice. 
adds value to the company, adds value to your clients' companies if that's what you're doing it for, and is easily enforceable, or not easily, but it's definitely enforceable because there's a history of this whole process going on for hundreds of years or hundred years. I don't know how many years. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's a There are legal institutions surrounding concepts of, of intellectual property law that, that go way back. And so, yeah, to some extent, it pays to be a cowboy and, and to be in your own space and you kind of create your own rules. But to some extent, sometimes you need to rely on the system. And sometimes having, um, having the system backing you up can really help things. I agree. Well, I think that's, that's a great way to provide value, both as an employee, as an agency, as a small business. And uh, I've never heard anybody regretting it. Like, oh, I got that copyright on that term that I thought was neat, and then I didn't do anything with it. It's, uh, I think it's, it's a more involved process. Something similar happens in marketing in regards to domain names where people would be like, oh, that's a cool domain name. And so you have people, especially marketers have like 500 domain names and do yep. nothing with them most of the time. You still have them. <laughs> <laughs> All marketers are guilty. I think I have like a thousand now. <laughs> I have a couple hundred, but you, you see a name and you're like, I got to get it. So uh, I think that's a good way to to compare having that IP as the same thing as you owning yeah, that domain yeah. that might be useful in the future. You know, it doesn't always work out, but when it does, it works out really well. Uh-huh. So it's, it's like, not that much. Well, patents are pricey, but right, patents, are. Yeah, patents are, you know, and I think um, to me, the real the, the real important point with when you do a patent and not do a patent is that the patents get, have value when you're actually building a product or service around the patent. Yep. Getting a patent just to own it and possibly like, well, maybe I'll sell it later and it'll have value. The value of the patent comes when you've got a company that's generating income. You've got a company that's generating a million dollars in profit, um, and then you have the patent too, and your your exit is based upon a multiple, let's say, of, of three, three times. Now that you've got the patent, instead it's, it's a multiple of six times. So instead of getting three million, you get six million. But if you don't have a business, then it's hard to sell a patent when there's no business related to it. Fantastic. Now that makes sense. Well, just to give everybody a real world example of losing money from not getting a trademark, I actually own the term, or I coined the term unconventional training, which was a specific type of training within the fitness industry. And when I went to sell my company, if I had had a trademark and a copyright, I could have upped the value significantly to say Mm -hmm. like, hey, you own this term that guides an entire segment of the fitness industry. I would have made way more money (laughs) and instead- and uh, I did it, and now it's just a common term. But uh, yeah, it makes sense, especially if you really they like just something. Use conventional valuation for determining how to value yeah. conventional training. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, I'm a dad, dang that! I make dad uh, jokes. <laughs> I want some unconventional uh, valuations. That's that's the good. Right. Uh, well, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, like we talked about, I think IPs are super valuable. We do it here at Digital Marketer. I wish I had done it with former companies. And definitely, if you are doing something and you're taking it seriously, then it's definitely worth a look at uh, copyrights, trademarks, and patents. Um, so if they do need help with that, uh, where can they go to get some help with their uh, all their IP? Oh, absolutely. Well, first of all, I mean, if you want to learn more about patents, um, the American Bar Association asked me to write book to explain to entrepreneurs how patents work. That's the ABA Consumer Guide to Obtaining a Patent, and it's like 20 bucks on Amazon. I also have videos on my website, 
uh, goldsteinpatentlaw.com um, slash videos actually is the total link where you'd find um, uh, a series of videos that explains patents. Uh, if you want to find out if it's a match to work with us, then just go to goldsteinpatentlaw.com and you can talk to my team. Um, and um, I, do a, I do a podcast also. My podcast is called Innovations and Breakthroughs. And um, I have people that have taken the path of, of, of bringing their idea out there into the world as guests. And we, we have uh, interesting conversations. So that's a great place to learn about and get help on this topic. Awesome. Well, everybody check out Rich. Uh, he's a wealth of information and, you know, it, it's something you don't think about a lot, but if you do take that extra step and do the professional approach to, you know, content and branding and, you know, product development, uh, it's totally worth it. And it can make you, you know, maybe millions of dollars if you do it right. So take the step. It's worth it. You know, be real. Don't be casual. <laughs> All <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to hit that follow button so you can notified when all of our new episodes release. Please share this with that friend who is clueless about digital marketing. And don't forget to visit digitalmarketer.com where you can access all of our courses, certifications, and training programs. Thanks again, everyone, and we'll see you next time. This is Digital Marketer. Digital Marketer.